Yeah, I can see. Oh. <laughs> Exchange Church. We are so glad that you're all here today. Um, if you can just stand and worship with us, we'll get started.
thank you that we can come in this building today and just simply remember that you came to this world. You came in human flesh as a baby. And so we remember that this morning. We remember that you came to be with us. Not to take charge, but to actually become humbled and to wash our feet, Lord. And we are so grateful, Lord. We're so thankful what you, for what you've done, for the blood that you've spilled for our sins, Lord. We remember that today, too. That our salvation is in you alone. We're thankful that we serve a God that has felt the pains that we feel every day. He's came. He's, he's become human. But right now, you're seated. You're seated in heaven. And you are watching over every single one of us. So we just glorify your name today. We thank you. We pray that you open our eyes and open our ears for the message this morning, Lord. And that we could just rest into the peace that you give us because you're the Prince of Peace in this Christmas season, Lord. So we thank you and we pray this on your name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. Everyone, good morning. Can you just give it up for Jesus and the worship team and say thank you? Yes. All right. Hey, everyone. Hey, happy almost Merry Christmas. Um, just take a second. I want you guys to walk around, be friendly, say happy almost Merry Christmas to someone around you. But take a, take a second. Meet someone new. Be friendly. Be outgoing. Don't wait for someone to go to you. You go to them. All right. Once you've met someone, you can take a seat, but only when you've met someone. Hey, I just want to say good morning. Good morning. Um, we are in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter one. So why don't we get started? If you guys need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. We have some handsome young gentlemen walking around with Bibles. So just raise your hand. They'll find you. Uh, while you guys are turning there to Matthew 1, um, a couple quick things. Man, this is something we call Advent Sunday. I'll explain that more in a second, but very excited to be with you guys, to go through the Word, to just celebrate Jesus' birth uh, before Christmas. So very excited for that. Um, here's what's happening. We will have... Oh, thanks, dude. This battery is on 1%, so appreciate it. Hello, hello, hello. There we go. Awesome. Just in case. Um, we are having our Christmas Eve service on Sunday at, or Christmas, yeah, Christmas Eve, not Sunday, Friday at 4 o'clock. So we will be here this Friday at 4 o'clock. We have a lot of fun things, plans for just families and the kiddos. Um, so come 4 o'clock, come a little bit early, get some hot chocolate, hang out with us. We'll be done. You'll be home by 5.15, 5.30. I mean, it's going to be great. Early Christmas Eve service. So this is this Friday, 4 o'clock. Very excited. If you have any kids that like to be in the kids' choir on Christmas Eve, sign them up. See your kids' ministry coordinator. We would love for them to be a part of that. So that is happening this Friday. Um, next is next Sunday, we will not be here in this building. 
Next Sunday, uh, Sunday the 26th, the day after Christmas, we're going to have an at-home family day after Christmas. So here's what we're doing. The teaching will be online. We'll have a study guide next to the teaching online. Uh, You guys, when you came in last week and even this week, there's little goodie bags. We just want to encourage like a family or just small group kind of environment for the day after Christmas. Obviously, we're a smaller church that just relies heavily on our volunteers. And so we thought it'd be fun to bless our volunteers, to bless you guys, not to stress getting ready the day after Christmas. Uh, So grab a bag on the way out. There's pancake mix, a little coffee and tea and, I don't know, some candles in there that you can light for the four weekends of Advent. And we'll explain that in the study guide. There's just some things to kind of create like an at-home family dynamic. So we'll have a a study guide with some really helpful questions about the the message. It's a shorter message. We just want you to hang out, enjoy your family, enjoy each other the day after Christmas. All right, so that will just be on our website, and you can sign up, uh, or you can click on the video, and you can even find the study guide online there. That is it. Um, Hey, welcome. Welcome to Advent Sunday. Here's what that means. Let me explain that. The four Sundays leading up to Christmas have just been like church historically, it's been a a way to kind of celebrate Jesus' arrival or coming. So the four Sundays are hope, peace, love, joy. So the four Sundays leading up to that Christmas day, we're reminded of just hope has come, peace has come, love has come, joy has come. It's hope, peace, love, joy. And our hope is just to kind of slow down and remember that God has come, that heaven came to earth, that heaven came down. And that we want to be reminded of what we sang earlier, Emmanuel, God with us. And so that is really the focus today, simply Emmanuel, God with us, God has come. I don't know if you grew up kind of like with Advent calendars. Remember like Trader Joe's? I, in California, we had Trader Joe's. We had Advent calendars. That's my favorite thing. My kids have them now. They love it. Advent calendars. And for them, it's like counting down the days through chocolate. It's like, oh, here we go, right? You have like a little chocolate. You open the little windows. Come on, Advent calendars. You guys know what that is, right? And so you have that to kind of an ex- expectation or excitement for the final day. And so Advent is that. Here's what Advent means. And maybe you you know this, but just a reminder, Advent just simply means uh, God has come or arrival, the one who is on his way or coming. We celebrate Advent to remember that God has come. This great and awesome day that we were looking forward to has happened, that God has visited, God has rescued, God has redeemed. And so Advent is that just reminder for us to celebrate that idea. Remember the day that, uh, that Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds. And what did the angels say? They say, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy to all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Good news. This is the gospel. Literally the same word in the Greek. I bring you the gospel. Gospel has come. This is good news. This is great joy. The fourth Sunday being the Sunday of joy. This is great joy for all people, for everyone. And so today is just a day for us to slow down and say, Jesus, thank you. God, you have come. You have arrived. And so for this Advent Sunday, I just want to look at this idea of God with us. God with us. Just those three words, God with us. I mean, this is the day that divides history from B.C. to A.D. or B.C.E. to C.E. now. I'm not used to that ever. I'll probably never be used to that. But B.C. to A.D. Just the idea of like, wow, God entering history splits history as we know it. I mean, this is a reminder for us, not that we seek out God as much as God came to us and seeks us out. What I love about this day is a reminder that there's a God who who broke into our earth, who covered himself in flesh, who visited us, who walked among us, and his name is Jesus. And so this is just a day for us to celebrate that truth, that God has come, and also that reminder that God is coming, that one day Jesus will come again. 
And so the Sunday before Christmas, I just pray that uh, this would be fresh to us, that the story that we've heard so often, that God would make it new, that these powerful truths that maybe you and I grew up with in some way, or maybe you're new to this, but this idea that God is with us, I hope that this would be fresh again. I hope that God would stir our hearts against this amazing truth that God has come and he's actually with us, among us. So uh, we are in Matthew chapter 1. I want to read, I think, the most precise uh, accounts of this story. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're just going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. Not many verses, but Matthew 1, verse 18. Here's what Matthew, the Jewish tax collector, writes about Jesus. He says, verse 18... Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's a great way to begin. The birth of Jesus, this is how it happened. This is how it took place. Verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But... As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We want to look at this story of Jesus, of Emmanuel, of God with us, that God has come and that God has a name, and his name is Jesus. Why don't you just bow your heads with me for a second, close your eyes, pray that God just makes this this timeless story and truth just fresh to us, new to us. Take a second, say, God, speak to me. Father, that is what we ask. We ask that you would speak. God, we we thank you that you have come. We thank you that all of the prophecies speaking of the Messiah, the one who would come, the one who would redeem, the one who would rescue, that this has been fulfilled in your son, Jesus. God, I ask that even though it's South Florida and it's sunny, it doesn't even feel like Christmas time. (laughs) Lord, I just ask that you would make this story the story of Jesus' birth, Jesus' arrival, of Emmanuel, of God with us. Make it brand new in our hearts. God, I ask that you would just work in us. God, I ask that this truth, this truth would truly set us free. That God, there's so much theology in this, but there's so much beauty in this. There's so much practicality in this. God, that you walked among us. I just ask God that you would, um, that again, you would speak to our hearts in a very unique way today. That Jesus, you would bring an appreciation for who you are and for what you've done. And the gospel that God has come and rescued and redeemed us by his blood. That God, that this story would be made new all over again in our hearts. So we thank you, Jesus. We just want to praise you in your wonderful name. Amen. 
you know, I think we can all agree that you and I live in a very easy and offendable generation. Like, we live in a moment of time where everyone is offended very, very easily. However, I think around this time there are moments, or maybe even there are gifts, where you're like, okay, there's cause for offense in that. I don't know if you've ever been re-gifted something. I don't know if you ever got something you're like, I know you didn't buy me this. Like, I know this is a re-gift. If you've ever had that happen to you, you're like, this is, this is definitely not from you. There's no way. A few years ago, I had a, a man, a man, on Christmas Eve, give me a candle. And I'm like, I know this is not from you. Like, I know you had a work party this week. He actually said, I have a gift for you in my car. I'll be right back. And he brought it a gift bag. And I'm like, I know you had this, like, a weird Christmas exchange thing, and you brought me a candle. I didn't know if I should thank him or, like, smack him. I'm like, really? I was, like, so offended by a candle. I'm like, obviously, you don't want this. Why did you think I would want this? Right? There are certain gifts that we give that can be easily offendable. Right? Sometimes we call them, like, statement gifts. You think about this. We can do this in, like, silly ways or maybe not to this extreme, but it's, it's almost like someone's seen a book on dieting and imagine they get you that for Christmas. They're like, I just saw this book and I thought of you. And you're like, why? Why was I, why did you think of me? Or, like, I saw this book, like, three ways not to be annoying and I just had to give it to you. And you're like, what are you saying? There's, like, certain statement gifts. And I, I might have mentioned this, but years ago now, uh, my wife and I have been married almost 14 years in February. So it's hard to remember, like, what Christmas is crazy. I know. We got married when I was, like, 13. Um, but uh, a few years ago, one Christmas, we, um, I, got, I, I saw on Groupon. I just shop on Groupon. Don't judge. Sometimes I just see great deals on Groupon. And I thought she made a comment before about teeth whitening strips, but I probably was wrong. And so I bought her some teeth whitening strips. And it wasn't like a centerpiece gift. It wasn't like a main gift. I just, it was like a stocking stuffer. I threw it in her stocking. She's like, teeth whitening strips? Really? What are you saying? And I'm like, I don't, I, that's for me. I didn't mean to, my, my bad. Like, I don't know. Like, my mind, I was like so paranoid. And sometimes we can give gifts that might be easily offendable. Or they mean something. There's a meaning behind it. Here's what I'm getting at. Christmas, the idea of Christmas should be and is incredibly offendable. I really want you to think about this. The gift that Jesus has come, that God has come, in many ways, should offend you. Like, think about this. God is basically saying, you have to admit you cannot save yourself. You have to admit you are not good enough. That you are a filthy sinner that you could never save yourself, it could never come from within, that salvation would have to come from without. The idea of Christmas is an offendable thought. It's basically saying, don't you realize that you are a sinner in need of saving grace? I mean, we look at this beautiful story of Christmas and all the details around it, and sometimes we miss the fact that God is saying, you are so helpless, you are so lost, so far, so gone, that I had to enter earth that I actually had to clothe myself in humanity and walk among you and then be rejected by you and eventually crucified and eventually rise again. Like, but you think about the story of what this is. It's basically saying you could never save yourself. You are not as good as you think you are. I mean, that is an incredibly, uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a statement gift. I mean, Jesus coming is a statement gift. And I want us to take that in. I mean, imagine, and think about what he says here. What, is, what does the angel say to Joseph? You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Look at verse 21. He shall save his people from their sins. This is a statement here. He said, this is the greatest need of mankind is saving from their sins. That this gift has come so you, you could be saved. Now, when you think about, imagine maybe husbands or wives, and probably wives, imagine your husband gets you this little box, it's like turquoise, and it's like, ooh, it might be Tiffany's or something, right? Like, you're like, oh, a little box must be expensive. And you open up the box, and inside there's a piece of paper, and it says, I forgive you. 
You'd be like, how dare you, right? Some of you are like, oh, I have an idea now for Christmas. No, but that'd be such an offendable gift. You open up and it just says the words, I forgive you. You're like, that doesn't make sense. No one would do that. But think about this. This is the greatest thing you and I need. I mean, the greatest thing you and I need is this idea of his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see, you and I need a savior. We're in need of saving. So much so that salvation is tied to the name of Jesus, to the name of Yeshua, just that God saves, that there is a God who saves. That so much is wrapped in the names of Jesus, whether that's uh, Jesus or Yeshua or that's Emmanuel, God with us. So we'll just look at this really quick. The two names that we see given here, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus obviously being that the Lord saves, the Lord saves. And then he says, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. That in these names, it's, it's so much is communicated. So much is there. That we, you and I need Emmanuel. You and I need Jesus. You and I need this. You know, I want you to think about, again, the story of just Christmas, you think about the gift that God gave to us. The most important and precious thing God had is his son, and he gifts him, and he gives him to us. You know, we went through 2 Corinthians this year, and I hope it was like ingrained in your heart and mind, but Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want you to hear this. This is, this is the Christmas message right here. This is the grace of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus right here. You know the grace of Jesus. You know this, that Jesus, though he is rich, meaning in heaven with the Father, he's eternal. He's sinless. He took on humanity. He wrapped himself in the flesh. He didn't just live a life. He lived like the lowest of low lives. I mean, at different points in his life and his ministry, he was homeless. The whole point is going, he, for your sake, became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the story of Christmas. You know, my wife and I, years ago, we used to watch and love the show Undercover Boss, right? And I love this story. And I love the idea of Undercover Boss. Here's this wealthy, rich CEO who's like clothing himself. They always like put on like a fake mustache and they're like, you know, that's like the boss. Like it never really works. But they like walk, like work among their like coworkers. Maybe they do the lowliest jobs at their work. They get to know the people. And at the end of the episode, it was so fun. They'd sit down with the three different people that they basically did work with for the last few weeks or months or whatever, and they'd be like, to rip off the mustache, I'm the boss. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. Like, yeah, you did. You knew. But they're like, I had no idea. But it'd be the coolest thing, because at the very end of the episode, they'd basically just like bless them. They'd just basically give them gifts. And like, it'd be overwhelming at times. There'd be like a woman who had a, a terrible story. She has no car, can't get to work. Her daughter has medical bills. And he's like, listen, I'm going to pay all the medical debt. I bought you a brand new car. I'm giving you $100,000 towards a house, and I'm flying you to Europe for two weeks. And like, like my, at the end of every episode, I'd be like, this is so beautiful. And it was the gospel. That is the gospel. That God who is rich became poor, so you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the gospel. I mean, I was always so moved by those stories. I'm like, wow, that generosity. But what Jesus did was so much more. What Jesus did was so much more. He didn't just inconvenience himself for a moment. He didn't just give him a little bit. He gave, him his, he gave you and I his whole life that though he was rich became poor so that you and I through his poverty might become rich. You see, this is the gospel, God with us. So I have three points today, hopefully gonna end early because we wanna have a little Christmas brunch and you're like, hold me to that, we'll see if it works. Uh, but three points today, ready? God with us, God with us, and God with us, all right? Three ways, all right, it's the same thing, but God with us. Let's look at the first emphasis here. God with us, God with us. The first thing I want us to see in this, this story of what the angel says to Joseph, of the prophecy that fulfills, he says this, basically, is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It's a truth that maybe doesn't always register, 
Maybe we, ha- we have it up here. I don't know if you feel the, feel the full weight of this comment. God with us. He's saying Jesus is God. Look again at verse 20. We'll put the phrase up. He says, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He wants to be really clear. Joseph, don't stress, man. I know that you're an honorable dude. You're a just man. I want you to know she is pregnant, but it is of God, of the Holy Spirit. And he's basically comforting him saying, there's no physical earthly father. You know, in Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. Jesus does not come from Adam. He has a heavenly father conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's saying Jesus is God. And then he says in verse 23, or he's, in verse 23, he's quoting Isaiah 7, but he says in verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He goes, this child is of the Holy Spirit, and it truly is God with us. God with us. And he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, and I'll read Isaiah 7, even though we just kind of read it, but Isaiah 7, verse 14, this prophecy says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want you just to stay with me for just a second. I mean, Jewish scholars, even to this day, they didn't take it literally like you and I take it. They took it figuratively. They had this hope and our idea that there would be some sort of leader that would come one day and he would be God with us. Not that it's truly God, but it's that God is with us through that leader. That's kind of how they interpret Isaiah 7. And this idea of virgin, this virgin shall bear a son. The word virgin in Hebrew does mean virgin as if never had sex before, but also does mean young woman virgin. And so the argument, if you talk to a Jewish person today about Isaiah chapter 7, it's like, no, no, we're taking the verse out of context. The idea for them would just say, no, this just means a young woman will have a child. Now, here's the problem with that. I don't know how that's very prophetic. I don't know how that's very special. Oh, a young woman having a child, that's unique. No, it's not unique. I think what makes this prophetic and unique is the fact that she is not a young woman, but she's truly a virgin. And it's not in a figurative sense that God would be with us through this leader, but here's Matthew saying, no, that God is with us. Not that God's figuratively with us. Don't think about it that way. God is with us. In the person of Jesus, God with us. I want us to feel that. This is an unbelievable truth. He says, God's going to walk with you, walk among you. Emmanuel has come. God with us. This is something that we should feel the weight of it. I want you to understand, Matthew who wrote this, Matthew who's pulling back from Isaiah, was a Jewish tax collector. He's a Jew. Here's what I want us to really take in. There was a point in time where a lot of Jews ended up believing in Jesus and believing that Jesus was God. Now, it would take a lot for a Jewish person to believe that. I think it would take the person to be God for Jews to believe that. Meaning, you, you and I sometimes today, like, oh, we're just very modern people. It's 2021. Back then, they'd believe everything. No, they were more skeptical than you and I, especially around the idea of God walking. Like, if there's any group of people that would be skeptical or, or suspicious, really, around the idea that there could be God walking amongst, it'd be the Jewish people. It's like, there's no way. We can't even get near the presence of God. Like, whoever tried to get near the presence of God would shook in fear. Maybe they'd fall over like a dead person. There's no way God could be among us. Like, this was so far-fetched to them. But you know what happened? A lot of Jewish men and women ended up believing that Jesus is God and walked among them. It would take for Jesus to be God, I believe, for that many people to transition a huge part of their core beliefs over to, no, 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 God is with us. You see, what I love about this is, you and I who might struggle in our faith sometimes, know that there are Jewish people who are so skeptical, so cynical, and they end up believing this amazing truth that Jesus is God and he walked among us. Because Jesus is God and he walked among us. I want us to take that in. He says, don't you know Emmanuel? God with us. Matthew is not the first person to claim this. 
Uh, we see Paul say this very clearly in Colossians 2.9. It says, for in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. All, the fullness of the deity dwells in Jesus in his body. Jesus is God. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. And immediately after, they want to kill him. Why? He's not just saying, like, claiming like we're one, like in a figure. He said we're one. I and my Father are one. You know, this is something Jesus said in, in, in so many different ways. It's in John 8, 58. He's talking to Jewish leaders and scribes and Pharisees. And he goes, hey, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And in verse 59, it says immediately they picked up stones. They want to kill him. They knew what Jesus said. They're like, wait, wait. You're saying before Abraham existed, you existed. And not just you existed, but you're taking the phrase I am, which is the name of God. When God reveals himself as Jehovah, when God says, I am what I am, he's basically saying, I am. Jesus takes the same phrase and says, I am. He said, I'm God. I'm the one who appeared to Moses that day. I am. See, I want I was to like feel the weight of this, that Jesus claimed to be God. The apostles affirmed that he was God, that there's so much weight to this wonderful truth. When Thomas saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, what does he do? He falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. He falls on the, at the feet of Jesus and goes, my Lord, my God. Jesus doesn't go, hey, 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 don't call me God. You don't do that. No, that's reserved for God. He receives it. Why? Because he's God. Here's the idea. I know we, we get this, but I want to make a case for it theologically, not even just practically. Jesus is God in the flesh, and that is so important. Jesus is fully God. He's not half God. Jesus is 100% God. We'll talk about he's 100% God and 100% man. We call this the hypostatic union in scriptures, where there's two natures that exist in the person of Jesus only. Jesus said he's 100% God. He didn't attain to be God. He's always been God, but he took on flesh. Jesus is God. I mean, this is such a powerful truth for you and I. I understand that for skeptics, they go, that is such a big claim. How could you claim that? Christians, that is so naive. That is, that's ridiculous to claim that Jesus is God. That's, I mean, I don't know how you even believe in miracles. I could never believe in that because I just can't believe that stuff. Here's what I love. I love J.I. Packer, a famous author, theologian, says this. He says, it is from misbelief or at least inadequate belief about the incarnation that difficulties at other points in the gospel story usually spring. But once the incarnation is grasped as a reality, these other difficulties dissolve. He goes, once you grasp this, all the other difficulties around this dissolve. Let me stay with me for a second. The incarnation is one of my favorite biblical and theological truths. The incarnation is that God came in the flesh. Think, you know, carnation, carne. Think carne asada, right? Grilled meat. Don't think that, but think carne. Think carne. This idea of, of meat or flesh, that's the idea. That's like the root word of it. Incarnation, God in meat, God in flesh. Philippians 2, he clothed himself in flesh. He put meat around him. I want us to understand that this is such a unique truth to Christianity that is so beautiful. The incarnation, I do believe, is such a unique truth that separates us from other worldviews and other faiths. We're not just saying there's a God. We're saying there's a God who actually walked among us. Like we're saying there's a God who understands what it's like to be around us and among us. And he also remained fully God and fully man. But I'm sticking with this fully God part. Let's just look at God with us. God, he's God. This is an unbelievable truth that we're saying God, God knows what it's like. God, God walked among us. God's like in heaven going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you're suffering. I have no idea what it's like to suffer. God's like, no, no, I get it. I get it. You see God with us. This is so unbelievable. If you struggle with the incarnation, like I, I, maybe you struggle with different miracles. I don't know if Jesus could feed 5,000, walk on water, all the things you claim, it's kind of hard, hard for me to grasp. There's an argument called from like the lesser to the greater, but here's the idea of this argument. Um, I believe there's God. If you believe there's a God, it's not hard to believe in the incarnation. I believe there's a God. I believe there's an intelligent design to our world and our universe. I believe that there's order. I, I believe that order creates order. 
I don't believe that chaos creates order. If you're like, I struggle with the idea that there is even a God, I think you have bigger problems and bigger questions to answer. How do we have order in this world? How do we have unique design in this world? How does chaos create anything? Does, is matter eternal? Does matter just forever exist? No, we don't believe that. So where did it come from? And we, we come up with crazy ideas like multiverse theories and multi-universe theories. And, and honestly, these are real things we propose. My, my whole thing is this. You look back and say, okay, matter doesn't just create itself. Something happened. There's not just order. How is there order in this world? My thing, if you can believe there's a God, the incarnation is a very easy thing for us to accept. Say, wow, there's a God. God who spoke the world, God who created, God who designed, God who made things beautiful and unique. And this God walked among us. God took on flesh. He walked among us. Here's the idea why this is so important. I get that this truth, you guys think about this claim. We're saying Jesus is God. That is a very polarizing claim. We're saying Jesus is the one true God. That there's no other gods. We worship one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We worship one God who eternally exists in three persons. But here's the point. We believe that Jesus is God. We're saying other claims to deity are not true, are not valid. And we get that that's polarizing. Here's the idea. If Jesus is God, you and I must have an extreme response. If Jesus is God, we must, we must extra, ex- respond extremely, meaning we say, yes, he's God, I'm all in. I think that you cannot be indifferent about Jesus. If for me, it does, it does make more sense for me it makes more sense when someone hates Jesus when the, rather than being just indifferent. When someone's indifferent about Jesus, I'm like, I don't get you. Like, I don't know, Jesus is okay, he's all right. I'm like, you should either love him or hate him. You're like, you should love him or hate him. Like, the idea is like, you think about all the things that Jesus claims before Abraham was, I am. I am truth. I am truth. Truth is not a concept, truth is a person. Like, my point being, the things Jesus said and did, you should either fully love him or you should hate him. That, it makes more sense to me. But being indifferent, just being like, I don't know, oh, whatever. That doesn't register with me. The idea is that Jesus claimed to be God. He is God. Either you should love that and believe that and cling to that, or you should hate that. But I want you to understand that Emmanuel, God, is with us. And this is such a unique view to, view to Christianity, and this is what I love about our faith. We're saying, no, no, God gets it. God gets it. God was among us. What other worldview or religion says, no, no, God truly walked among us, and he was rejected by his own, and his own received him not. And he was spat on and persecuted and whipped and beaten no, he gets it. So this brings me to my other point. Emmanuel, God with us, and then God with us. Number two is that Jesus is man. Jesus is fully man. He's fully God. This, again, like I said, is what we call the hypostatic union. It's just a big word, simple meaning. Fully God, fully man. Not 50-50, 100% God, 100% man. Jesus didn't attain deity. It's like, okay, he was really good, so he's made God. No, he was always God, eternally God, but he wasn't always man. But one day he did take on flesh, and this is the story we celebrate, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, God walking among us, that Jesus is fully God, fully man. And again, here's not just that he's fully man that matters, but do you know that how he came matters? How Jesus came, the story of, of Christmas, the details around that actually matter. How Jesus came really does matter, and stay with me on this, because really think about this, and I'm sure you have, but if I'm God, and, and thank you, God, I'm not God, but if I'm God, I don't think I'd send my son in that way. I don't think I'd have him be born in a stable with barn animals. I think about 2021, like how would you have Jesus come to earth? You go, no, I would want people to like make, I don't make this a big deal, like he'd be in a palace There'd be other kings coming there, like throwing their crowns. Like, I want to be really, there'd be fireworks. There'd be a lot going off. Like there'd be a lot happening that day. But he's just born in a manger in a stable with some animals. 
you know, we say silent night, holy night. And we're like, it's kind of a gross night, just like with animals and feces and in a manger, like a stony manger thing animals would eat out of. All right, that's, that's how God came. And that's how God decided to come. And you're like, what are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. The highest of highs became the lowest of lows. Here's what I'm getting at with Jesus being man. You want to know Jesus as God and you want to know Jesus as man, you have to approach him in the lowest of lows. Meaning, there's something about God saying, I'm going to walk among you, be among you, but I'm going to come in such a unique way that I want to show, I'm showing you that it's the humble that are in. It's through humility you come to know me. You see, the story of Christmas is basically saying, humble yourselves. This is not a message we love today. No one's like, oh, did you hear, like, I love that. this message on humble yourself. Like, we, like, love this, like, inspirational self-help stuff that, like, hypes us up. That's fine. But here's all I get at. The Bible's like, no, no, hum- humble, humble yourself. The highest of high took on the lowest of low. And the way we come to him, the way we know him is through humility. It's not through height. It's through this low, coming low. It's what James talks about. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. My thing is, I want you to see God who is among us, who didn't live in a palace like going, I'm just being spoon-fed and have butlers and people who serve me night and day. He's like, no, no, no. I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to be lonely. Jesus can say, I know what it's like to have a prayer go unanswered. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken? But my point is like, Jesus can relate to us in so many very unique ways that are incredibly beautiful. Where you go, wow, Jesus, wait, you know what it's like to have a best friend die? You know, it's like, even when it comes to Joseph, where's Joseph after this? We don't see Joseph after the story of Jesus being 12 years old. Joseph, most people believe, died probably before Jesus was really an adult. But the idea that Jesus most likely knew what it's like to lose a parent, knows what it's like to suffer. My thing is, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. That God is not like, wow, I have no idea, again, what it's like to, to face just difficulties and pain and suffering and loss. Wow, what sin does to this world and how it plagues and hurts us, how it puts us at odds, how there's so much hatred and bitterness. I have no idea what that's like because I'm just in heaven, myself, on a throne. He's like, no, no, I walked among you. You see, this Emmanuel God with us is the most beautiful story to me. I need to know that he is God and I need to know that he's man. Both are necessary. Both are beautiful. Both mean so much to me in my, in my view as just a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. I need to know that he is God. He is sinless. He is set apart. He is deity. But I need to know he's man. I need to know that he shed tears. I need to know that he was sleepy, tired, hungry. I need to see that, that he had this righteous wrath at different points. I need to see this Jesus. I go, wow, he, he actually does get it in a way I don't get. There's an author named Dorothy Sayers, and she said it so beautifully about Jesus being fully God and being fully man. So stay with me. We'll put the quote up here. It's a longer quote. She says, for, listen, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game God is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules, and he himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. You see, God's not uh, immune to this. I love that, that God does get it way more than I ever will. There's so many times in my life where I've just flicked scriptures relate, and it's just overwhelming. I've dealt with different people in my life who just have this idea for some reason of maybe not worthy enough, not good enough, and of self-harm. I've talked to people who've cut themselves, hurt themselves, 
And I just love the story of Jesus. And I'm bringing this up more because the story of Jesus can just relate in so many ways. Because I look at this and I go, hey, you don't need to hurt yourself. You don't need to cut yourself. You're, you don't need to make your wrist bleed. Jesus bled for you from there. Like anything you're walking through, anything you're spending, know, know that Jesus fulfills it, satisfies it, meets it. I, my point being in this is that Jesus meets the, the deepest longings of our needs, our emotional needs, spiritual needs. Jesus goes, I, not only do I get it, but I've met that need and then some. I want you to see that Jesus is not immune to our pain and suffering. In Isaiah 53, 3, it said about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. I just love that phrase. Like, wow, he's familiar with pain. He's like, I, I, I'm familiar with it. Yes. Oh, pain? You're going through pain? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I want us to see Jesus in this way, that he's fully God. Thank you for that, Jesus. Only, fully, only as a fully God could he actually meet that requirement for sin because he was sinless. And only as fully man he could bear the weight of, of what sin would felt like and look like. He just meets both those needs in such a unique way. Here's why both matter. Both matter. It matters that he's fully God and fully man. John Stott said, the possibility of substitution rests on the identity of the substitute. For there to be substitution, who is the substitute? God took our place, but who is he? He's God and he's man. He's both. He needed to be man so he could actually die. Can God die? Well, the God-man, Jesus, can die because he's also fully man. How does God die? How does, how does timeless enter time? How does the creator enter creation? He had to be man. The point being that only through Jesus you could say this makes sense. One author, listen to this, says, Jesus, listen, Jesus is fully God, fully able to satisfy di divine wrath due sin, and he is fully man, fully able to stand in the place where you and I deserve to be, and this is why he came. I want you to see how both are necessary that he could stand in our place because he's man. He could actually die, but he's God. He's sinless. You see, Emmanuel, God with us, is, is the gospel. It's the good news. God, God with us, with man. I just think this is such a beautiful thing that my heart needs to cling to this Christmas of God, thank you, thank you that you're Emmanuel. Again, the story of Christmas can get lost in the details. We can think shepherds and the inn and, you know, the angels appear. You know, we can think of all the little details, but we can go, wait, 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 wait. do we get it? what happened here? God entered earth. The creator entered his creation. God was with us. God walked among us. I mean, we, we beheld his glory, as John would say. Like, this is unbelievable to think. So I want to piece it together. He's God, he's man, but he's God with us. Like, think about this in a personal way, God with us, in a relationship way. Think about everything different Old Testament men and women experienced, and they would have loved to have known that God was with them in this way, in a personal walking with us kind of a way. I mean, think about this, whether it's Moses who sees God in this like burning bush of fire or in Abraham, Abraham has this interaction with God. He's described as God appears in a smoking furnace with the nation of Israel, a pillar of fire with Job, a hurricane and fire. And then here Jesus is entering earth as this baby. Like you think about what they experienced, like God, we cannot even look at your glory. We can't even be around you. Like if we, we, we truly saw you, we would die. Think about Moses. God's like, Moses, you can't, you want to see my glory? You want to actually see my glory? I've placed you in the cleft of this mountain, this rock. I'm going to pass by, by you. You're not going to see me. You're going to see like my afterglory. Like you're going to see like, like the comments going, you're going to see the afterglory behind it because you can't handle my glory. And so Moses sees that and his face is just glowing for days and days. My point being like, they wanted to see God. They wanted to see him. And here we are, we see him in the person of Jesus. And this is why this is so incredible to me. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. You know this verse well, but John 1, 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And listen to this. And we have seen his glory, 
glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Stay with me. Moses is like, show me your glory, God. I want to see your glory. John's like, we saw the glory. He was full of glory, full of grace and truth. You, you did the glory of God, you saw like the after glory. We saw the glory in Jesus, full of grace. We saw him face to face. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or the word became flesh and tabernacle, lived among us, walked among us. One translation says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. It moved into the neighborhood. Jesus like, yeah. But not only that, we want to see the glory of God. Like these men and women, we crave to see what, they, what the apostles saw. And what, you know, I can look back and say, wow, wow, hold on. God did walk among us. We beheld his glory, full of grace, full of truth. Want to know what God is like? Look at the person of Jesus. You want to know what God is like? He walks among us. Want to know what God is like? Well, he sent his Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us, that Christ dwells in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, you want to know what God is like? We can look at Jesus and study him and learn from him and sit at his feet. My thing is this, Emmanuel, God is with us. I want us to see this in in a unique way this Christmas. Do you know that God is saying, hey, I, I want to walk with you. I want to walk among you. I want you to behold my glory, that this is not just reserved for the, those people in that day. We can behold the glory of Jesus. As we look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, we behold the glory of Jesus through the word, like through this, through this book. We behold the glory of Jesus through his word, that we see him in a unique way and say, wow, Jesus, thank you for showing me what this is like. God with us, that I can see you in a unique and different way. You see, this is the greatest gift, obviously, God, Emmanuel. I mean, what is greater than that? That God with us. What is the greatest gift God can give? Himself. More than even salvation, himself. I'm thankful that it's Jesus who saves, but I'm thankful that he's Emmanuel, God with us. I need to know that his name is Jesus. You know that his name is Jesus, he can save? Do you know that he can save you from anything? <laughs> from yourself, from sin, from hell, from death, from eternal damnation. He can save you from that. He can save you from your poor life choices. He's just Jesus. He's the one who saves but he's also Emmanuel. He's the God who's with us. He's with us. He saves and he's with us. That's what Christmas is. Just saying, God, thank you. You're with us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, this gift of Jesus, this gift of eternal life, this gift of God with us, Obviously, this is the greatest thing God could give is just himself. It's eternal life. It's being with him. It's knowing him. It's he's with us. You know, my thing is how to respond to this. Like, really, how do we respond to this? I mean, all of heaven is excited. They're like, hey, who do we tell? We'll just tell some shepherds. I don't know. <laughs> like, let's just tell the shepherds. You know, we've talked about this a couple years ago about shepherds. It's just like, okay, they're the nobodies. No one, no one cared about them. They're kind of the outcasts of the community. We'll just tell the shepherds, though. Well, if all of heaven announced that God has come, that good news, great joy, all people, God has come, and we hear this message and you go, okay, well, what do I do with this? Like, how do I respond to this? I mean, the only way I think we can respond is what Isaac Watts said in his famous song that we sing around Christmas, but his famous hymn, he wrote, let every heart prepare him room, right? I mean, he's just playing off this Christmas message saying, hey, there was no room for Jesus in the end, but you know what? Let every heart prepare him room. How do we respond to this message? Prepare him room. Give him room in your life. Say, Jesus, my life is your life. Take it. I want it. There's room. Come on in. The only way to respond to God with us is to say, all right, God, come on in. You're with us, be with me. Do you that God actually wants to be with you? That might be a hard thought. For me in my own Christian life, and as I pray, as I walk with God, as I just try to do daily life, I'm like, hold on a second, God. You actually want to be with me. God actually wants to be with you. It's surprising, isn't it? Sometimes like, I don't want to be with me. I'm like, oh, this guy's annoying. God wants to be with me. God wants to be with you. 
That is such a beautiful thing, God with us. God left heaven. God, who is rich, became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. Don't you know the grace of Jesus, Paul would say? Don't you know? You know. You know the grace. This is the grace of Jesus. Way better than undercover boss. Way better than someone like, yo, and you know what? I'll, I'll walk among them for a few weeks. No. He became man to stay man. He's fully God, fully man. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus who would do this for you and I. It's unbelievable to me. This is the, the gospel story. This is the message. God with us. I just want to end with worship and celebration and just say thank you. My thing is the only way you and I can respond to a message like this is just to say, God, I can't believe you would pursue me. And I'm just in awe of that truth and I just want to worship you. That God, you're with me and I'm not alone. That during Christmas, it's a very lonely season. That during Christmas, there's people you're thinking about who pats away, people who are maybe not here physically with you, but you have God with us. And I think it's in this Christmas season, just be reminded that God is with you. Be reminded that Jesus is the only religious figure in any capacity where death didn't interrupt his plans, but death was his plan. I just find this mind-blowing that whether different spiritual gurus, death kind of ended their journey. Death kind of ended their plans. But for Jesus, mission accomplished at death. That Jesus came and took on flesh so he could die. That this infant... Seeing Jesus in this manger and look at the beautiful little hands and the little fingernails, and you realize one day those hands would be pierced for you and I. While the infinite became an infant, and he walked among us, and he did this for you and for me. This only leads us to say, yes, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, that you walked among us. This is the only appropriate response is to worship. The only appropriate response is to do what the shepherds did and the wise men did and to say, we worship you. You, you gave us gifts, we're going to give you our life. You gave us the greatest gifts, and here's what we have to offer. It's not much, but thank you, Jesus, that the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Receive that gift today if you have not received that gift. Believe on Jesus today if you have not believed on Jesus. Receive the greatest gift in the person of Jesus. Amen? God with us. Do you believe that? God with us. He's with us. Well, just bow your head, close your eyes, take a second, say, Jesus, thank you that you are God in the flesh. God, you're with us. Just quiet your hearts. Think about eternity entering into our world and coming into this manger that the highest of high became the lowest of low and says, enter, know me through humility. Not lift yourself up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. Why don't you just bow your head, talk to him, thank him, praise him. That you take the next six days before Christmas to slow your heart down and say, Jesus, you're the greatest gifts. You're why we're here. You're why we worship. That Jesus, you are fully God. You are fully man. So say thank you. Only you, Jesus, could be that substitute. The one who's eternal, the one who's sinless, that you're not some lamb that we have to offer over and over again because that lamb's blood is limited, but your blood is eternal. Your blood goes on and on. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the son, that you're the fully man who can relate to me in my moment, my circumstances. Christmas at that time, just to study your heart and say, thank you, Jesus. So bow your head, close your eyes, just thank Jesus for a second. Whatever you want to say to Jesus right now, say it. Father, I want to thank you that you named your son Jesus, Yeshua, the God who saves. I want to thank you that you named him Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that this is not a concept, 
or an idea, but that you really are with us, that you sent your son, he rose again, ascended into heaven, and you sent your Holy Spirit, that you are with us, God with us. We just thank you. We thank you for this idea of advent, of arrival, of coming, that God, you have come and that you are coming. Jesus, we just want to celebrate you now. We want to thank you now. We want to take the next few days before uh, Christmas just to, again, prepare our hearts, just to let this be a fresh word again to us. So we thank you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. Your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And why don't you just stand with me and let's just end by worshiping Jesus.